Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have a new friend, Mado Hesseling. Mado is also a yoga teacher, but she is a guide for yoga teachers. She has developed Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast and really dove into learning more about the business of yoga after teaching for herself for 10 years and realizing how important it is to broaden her horizon to be able to impact her own professional life, but also share that with others. So we talk about her journey into yoga, into motherhood, into business and marketing, and she has so many wonderful nuggets. So I hope you tune in. Whether you're a yoga teacher or not, there's a lot you can learn. So please enjoy my conversation with Mado. Welcome Mado, so glad to have you on today. Thank you, Laura. So let's launch right into, as a fellow yoga teacher, it's always wonderful to hear your path into yoga, how you discovered it, how you decided to start teaching. Yeah. So I was a theater major in college. We just kind of dipped into that a moment ago. And inside my theater classes, our professors actually included a bit of yoga. So that was my very first introduction. At the same time, I got involved in a martial arts dojo. And this martial arts was quite intense. And I was not athletic growing up. I was a total bookworm. Like picture coming home from the library with books literally stacked up to my chin. 
I would get like 20 books at a time. I grew up in Hawaii and in a rural area. And so books were everything for me. We also did not have a TV growing up. So this was like my imaginary life, right? So in college, I found my body and I started exercising and moving in these different ways and, and specifically got very deeply into this martial arts dojo. And martial arts was very intense. Like it was, it was painful, <laughs> frankly, right? And the yoga that I was learning in my theater classes, and then I basically threw DVDs after that, right? Rodney Yee DVDs was just like a bomb. It was just so nourishing in comparison. And when I graduated from college, like many young people, I wasn't really sure where to go from there. I didn't have a clear path. I was kind of burnt out on theater, to be honest. And the, especially the lifestyle surrounding it, there's so much drama, so much drinking, it, late nights, none of that was feeling right for me. And so I started yoga teacher training and part way, maybe just two months into yoga teacher training, I became pregnant with my first child who's now going off to college. And at the time I realized that I could, well, especially after my daughter was born, I couldn't do both of those things. I couldn't keep my yoga practice and my martial arts practice. And as a new mom, what I needed was that nurturing. What I needed was that place where I felt held and home. And so I really dedicated myself to yoga from, from then on. So when you were at this stage where you were just teaching yoga and having a young child, like what was that like in terms of how many classes a week were you teaching? Was this a practice and not only just for yourself, your own practice, but also the practice of being a teacher? Was it sustainable financially with a young child? Well, I mean, I would say in the beginning, like most yoga teachers, I didn't really see this so much as a career, especially since I was transitioning to being a very young mom at the same time. I was 24 when I became pregnant for the first time. So what happened, which was really quite a blessing is that I, my first job was at the YMCA and the YMCA did not pay well. Like it was like $20 a class or something like that. It was terrible pay, but they had a childcare. And so I was able to take classes for free. I got a free membership. I was able to have some space and time to myself and I was able to teach. And I also got the experience of teaching a lot of people because their classes were very full. And so I would teach anywhere between 20 and 70 people per class. Mm. And it was a great, I consider it my second teacher training because that on the ground experience of seeing a lot of different bodies and getting to work with a lot of different bodies. And many of those participants, many of those students were very regular and very dedicated. In fact, our YMCA was at that time, it was known as like the most affordable place in town to get really good yoga. So there were very dedicated practitioners who came and they came very regularly and, and they probably taught me just as much or even more as I taught them. Now, how is your, like compared to then, how is your teaching now different and how did you evolve it? Did you naturally become more curious with movement or did you do more teacher trainings or did you combine certain practices? 
Oh my gosh, all of that. Well, so the first thing that happened is, of course, I started to experience a bit of repetitive stress injury, uh, teaching more, practicing more. I was a little bit in a more mobile body. I wouldn't say I was hypermobile, but part of the reason I was attracted to yoga is I felt successful at it from the get-go, you know? And I really enjoyed that yoga high, that feeling of peace and bliss at the end. And then to have that combined with the feeling like my joints are not happy with this, that was really disturbing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the first place I turned to was alignment, right? So I started to work with alignment-based teachers and I specifically was got very into Anusara for, I don't know, like seven or eight years all the way until that style of yoga had a massive blow up. And it was really at that same time, I had already been questioning this idea of universal principles of alignment and the overly simplistic way that they were approaching the human body. In a, in a sense, it was really good for me when I was new because it was very systematic and very simplified. And that was great because I was able to wrap my brain around it. But the longer I taught, the more I saw like, no, actually different bodies are going to experience the expression of the same asana in very different ways and, and need different things in their asana. And that was discussed within that style of yoga, but there was just a, a starting to be already before everything happened. There was a big scandal with the, the founder and of the yoga school. Um, but even before that, I was, I was questioning and I was starting to kind of seek other information out. And I actually started studying with Jill Miller right around that time. So after I really stopped being part of Anusara anymore, I studied with Jill for about five or six years and it was really her level one teacher training that opened my eyes to anatomy and a different way of learning about the human body where it can be both very accessible, like it, it's possible and, and felt doable for me to understand anatomy progressively, step by step, a little bit at a time, but also able to apply this new knowledge to lots of different bodies in different ways. So that was really cool. Now, how did, how did your existing students respond to your changing things up? You know, some of them loved it and some of them didn't. And the ones that didn't moved on. And I will say that throughout the entire time that I've been a teacher, I've always been a bit of an innovator. Like I've always been somebody who can't teach the same class twice. I always want to improve on it. So students who prefer regularity were never attracted to me in the first place. And students <laughs> who like a little bit of variety and like to understand the why behind what we are doing, those were the students who tended to like my classes anyway. So those students just went along for the ride. They were into it. They were like, oh, you've got new knowledge. I want the new knowledge too. I think that's so refreshing. And it's, as a teacher, it's so fun to see kind of the people who come along with you and then the doubters who are really comfortable. You know, a lot of it is that like change is hard for some people, but other people jump into it. And I think it's a nice filter in a way, like just to 
you want to you want to reach everybody, but knowing that you're not going to necessarily please everybody, but really feel really solid with how you're teaching. Would you say that's how your teaching is now influenced by this this training? Definitely. I would say that my teaching now is I mean, I've always in addition to studying with Jill, I was at that same time branching out and studying Pilates and I was doing CrossFit and even aerial arts. So I love having the influence of other modes of thinking. I also went and I took college level anatomy classes, took psychology and neuroscience classes. So I love having different fields think about the human body, human movement, and human thriving from just different perspectives. So because everybody has blind spots and every field of study has blind spots, one of the things I'm passionate about is going outside the box and going outside of the expected framework for how yoga teachers are studying, learning, and being taught and say, okay, what can I benefit from this different perspective? And how can I bring that back to create a more 3D and detailed map of the human experience. Wow. I think this is exactly how I feel about it. But, you know, it's interesting because all those things you said, that's a lot. So a lot of times yoga teachers sign up, they love yoga, they want to learn more about it, they want to be able to teach it. And some will criticize, like, what am I supposed to be, a therapist, a you know, physical therapist, you know, all these things. I'm just a yoga teacher. But what you're saying is not going against that grain, but it's, it's, I'm in, I'm in alignment with you. I do think there is an inherent responsibility when you're teaching movement, you're teaching the whole system, the body moving. It is connected to your mind. It is connected to your emotions. It doesn't mean we have to go and get certified in all these different things, but I think it is imperative to feel comfortable when other things arise, when someone has an emotional experience. Again, we're not, you know, certified therapists, but it is, I think what you're saying, and, and I totally agree with it, but I'm wondering how you respond to people, yoga teachers who are like, I don't, you know, that's outside of my kind of domain or, um, you know, how do you respond to yoga teachers who would say that's too much? Like I should just stick to like teaching yoga. Well, I would say, great. If that's what you feel <laughs> called to do, follow your path, follow your passions. That's what I'm doing too. I love that. That's a great answer. That's great. Yeah. It's like not to get into, because I think, yeah, there's people who are going to get really into alignment, really into the functional anatomy. There's others who are going to get really into the breath work, really into the psychosomatic. And like you said, what is it that you're curious about? Because whatever we're more curious about, what we're interested in, we're going to infuse our teaching with that for sure. So I was reading a little bit about you, and it said that after teaching for 10 years, you met your fairy godmother business coach. So tell me a little bit, what does a fairy godmother business coach look like, and who is that, and what, what did this godmother tell you? <laughs> well, I call her my fairy godmother business coach because she kind of poofed into my life and poofed back out. Basically, I saw a posting on a local Facebook group from a woman who said, I'm available for business coaching. My personal life's a mess, but I really know my stuff when it comes to business. I can't commit to you, but I can give you really great advice, really cheap. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what do I have to lose? Right. And she was the person who really 
invited me to face the idea of niching and who finally explained it to me in a way that I could relate to and feel not comfortable with, because I don't think anybody's comfortable with the idea of niching when they first start with it. But I was, and would you say another word for that is like branding, like in a a niching branding? Yeah. 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 You could, you could definitely say that brand branding and niching are very related because it's all about communication. It's about how do you communicate that spark of passion that you and I were just talking about to somebody who doesn't have time for your whole story. And in a way that the people who you're best positioned to help and serve are going to be intrigued by it and are going to want to stick around for the rest of the story. Right. So in a way, it sounds like she helped you identify your niche market, your brand, and so that you could, again, be serving those people, summoning those people versus just throwing the whole net out there. And I think this is the crucial thing that many yoga teachers, I mean, many businesses in general, but yoga is a pretty big umbrella. And so you can't go out there and try and like the way I teach yoga, if somebody isn't really interested in kind of a structured understanding of the body and they just want to free flow, then they might not like my thing. And that's fine. Those are not necessarily, again, the people that I would summon. So what were some of the tools that she gave you immediately that started to change your life, change your business strategy? Well, the first thing she did was dig in with me about who I really felt most alive when I was working with. And that was yoga teachers. That's what kind of came out of that conversation. The second thing she did was plant some seeds around market research, although I didn't really have that language um, in that moment, but that's really what she was teaching me. She said, go out and talk to some of your most dedicated students. And we were talking about lead magnets here. And, And she said, find out from them what they would want in order to sign up for your email list. And this is, this was new to me because I had had some business coaching in the past and I I knew what a lead magnet was, but it was always something from my own brain. It was always something like- So can you define that to people who don't know what you're talking about? Yeah, so a lead magnet is basically a free gift that you get for signing up for an email list. It's It's a thank you and an incentive because as much as we might be open to hearing from a certain person, what is going to get us to actually take the action and give them our email address? There there needs to be a reason. And so Mm -hmm. the lead magnet's the reason. And what I did is I was mentoring some newer yoga teachers at the time. And I asked them, and one of them said to me, you know, Mado, you have this list of a hundred yoga class themes on your blog. She was like, I would totally give you my email address for that. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's a great idea. So I went and I looked at my website analytics. And come to find out that organically that page was the number one landing page on my website already. And a landing page is just a page where people first find your website. So what that means is that there were yoga teachers and really thousands of yoga teachers who had typed yoga class themes into Google and Google had served them up this particular page. And so I also had dozens, maybe close to a hundred comments on that page 
of people saying thank you and how much the list was helpful to them. So all I had to do was to pull the list off of the page, put it in a PDF and put it behind a little sign up. And I had all these testimonials to back it up. And so that was so brilliant. And the reason that that came about a little bit of magic, a little bit of luck, of course, but it was because I went to my actual intended customer and got information from them instead of trying to like make it up out of my own head. That's crucial. And I, and I do know from reading some of your uh, yoga workshop tips that this is a big one is know what your customer wants versus kind of just assume like, oh, I think everybody's going to love this because I love it, but not, that isn't necessarily true. And I think that's brilliant because we don't know we're we're only coming from our own perspective, but we have these great tools like analytics to actually show us where these people are headed into, where, what's their train of thought? What is their, you know, end goal? So you got this and I, can you talk a little bit about the importance of email list? Like why would anyone want to accumulate all these emails? What is the power in that? Well, number one, it's your most direct access to the people who've raised their hand and said that they want to hear from you. Social media algorithms are constantly changing. (laughs) I know that you are, I don't know if you have like expert help, but you're clearly really successful on social media, which is fantastic. But I'm sure you've seen how something that's working one week, uh, the next week can stop working. And you're only reaching a small fraction of the people who clicked like or follow. So email marketing is much more stable. There are some factors in place and not everybody's going to get your emails, but it's a much more direct way of accessing folks. The other thing is that these days people really hate to be sold to on social media because there's so much of it. There's so much information bombarding them. And yes, they're getting sold to in their emails a lot as well, but people are much more comfortable receiving an offer for a product or a purchase in their emails than they are on social media. On social media, there's something, because of the intimacy and the kind of connection you're trying to build on social media, you have to really earn the right to make an invitation. And you don't wanna be inviting people like that's all you're doing. Sell, 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 sell. People are gonna unfollow you. And they may unsubscribe from your email address as well, but it's those two things that direct access. And there's just this cultural thing at the moment where it feels more natural to receive an invitation via email than on social. Right. It's almost like behind the curtains. So yeah, you can always delete it. It isn't so in your face for newer yoga teachers or even yoga teachers who are struggling to develop a customer base. And this could be true for any profession, insert, you know, personal trainer. But how does one even start to develop an email list? Say you don't have a big social media presence. How do you even start getting people to know about the offering that you're having, that magnet? Well, I would say that the first, we could say maybe 100 subscribers, you want to think about a personal invitation. So your students who are actually showing up in your classes, tell them one-on-one, hey, I've got this new offering and you'll get it by signing up for my email address or my email list. Um, It could be maybe in the social media DMs. 
Now, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of selling a lot on social media, but inviting somebody personally to sign up for a email list that they're going to get value from that I think is totally appropriate. Now I wouldn't do it cold. I wouldn't do it to people that you've never had any contact with. My approach is generally when somebody asks me a question that I happen to have a lead magnet that answers it, that's usually when I will share that. But there may be other opportunities as well, where you're just in a conversation with somebody and you say, you know what, I think you'd really enjoy this. Feel free to sign up for it. You can also add it to your email signature so that every single person that you send an email to at least has the opportunity to see what you're offering. You might be in an actual class with others, right? Let's say you are attending a workshop with other yoga teachers and somebody mentions something, you're like at lunch together. So you just invite people. And you can make, let's say, if you're inviting people one-on-one, you could get a 50% uh, yes rate. So you invite 200 people, you get your first 100 people on your list. Right. And it's not like you're asking for money. You're just actually offering a free, you know, magnet gift of some sort. And the person is, isn't going to be there. If anything, they're probably going to be very pleased with that. So how many, how often do you change this lead magnet? Well, I don't change it. I just add more. So I have maybe like six or eight and they're different places and I use them for different reasons. So for example, I have a list, a list of hundred yoga class themes. Then based on that, I also created a list of hundred yoga workshops. I have a checklist, a business startup checklist. I have, gosh, you know, I have a few guides that go along with certain workshops that I teach. So I have a bunch of them and I would never get rid of one unless I was embarrassed by it. Like later on, if I was like, Oh, that was actually not so great. (laughs) Then I'd get rid of it. But otherwise I just add. Those sound wonderful. So what is, what is your success rate been with these? Well, I'll tell you from the first, the first one that I had that hundred yoga class themes, I Almost immediately after putting that all together, I kind of fell off the radar by having a baby and building a house. And so I was just like, I kind of, my business was sort of, it was still going, but it was not growing. Let me put it that way. And I wasn't paying attention to my email list. It was about two years later when I finally resurfaced and I was like, okay, I'm ready to get serious here. I looked at my email list and I had grown to 2000 people in the background without any effort. So, you know, that is not necessarily your typical results. I already said that I had some traction from Google that was supporting that. I would not assume that you could get there without effort, but with effort, you certainly could. Right. Oh, this is wonderful. So solidifying your business, I guess it would be after the baby and the house. Um, what were some other, how did you identify like, this is what I'm going to do now beyond just the email? Like what were, what were the offerings that you decided to give the brand that you developed? How did you come up with all of that? That's such a great question. And it's kind of perfect timing for it. What I did after that was actually signed up for another, a business program where I was like, okay, that fairy godmother business coach had sure enough had disappeared into the ether. 
And I decided I was ready to focus on my business and to grow my business. And so I actually borrowed money to pay for a quite several thousand dollar business course. And one of the pieces of advice in the course was to do a hundred market research conversations. So that is where I started. I spoke to 100 yoga teachers. And now one of the things that I got lucky with is that I had this email list to dip into. And many of my market research conversations came directly from that email list because I just emailed them. I was like, hey, I want to talk to yoga teachers. Who wants to talk? And then towards the end, something really cool started happening, which is that some of the yoga teachers I had conversations with started recommending that their friends talk to me. And that was amazing because the people who got on the phone with me because they'd gotten an email from me were open. But the people who got on the phone with me because their friend told them I sh they should, they were like, we were already friends. They were so available. They were so excited for the conversation. And really, during those conversations, the theme that came to me was that just like me, many, many yoga teachers really struggle with the business side of things. I didn't go into this, right? I knew I wanted to support yoga teachers. I did not go into this thinking, I want to teach yoga teachers business. Like that was never something that I saw myself doing. But through this process, I transformed my own relationship to business. I recognized, I started to learn like, okay, business and yoga don't have to be like oil and water, that they can actually be two frameworks. Like we were talking about earlier, these are two frameworks and you look through this framework and you see the world this way. And you look through this framework and you see the world this way. And by having multiple frameworks, you get a clearer picture, you get more tools, you get more more ability to experience nuance and frankly, to be effective in both capacities. Like I think yoga is great for business people. And I think business is great for yoga people because they are kind of different, but not in an oil and water way, in a way where they can complement each other. Hmm. So why do you think it that yoga business has been held to this different standard than other like high revenue wellness businesses. There's a lot of wellness businesses out there that are making big money, but it's like people sometimes have admonished yoga teachers who are trying to create it more like a yoga business. What, why do you think it's held to that standard or a different standard? I, I'm not sure that it is. I think we receive the criticism as yoga teachers in more deeply. I think that there's criticism towards any type of business that's making money. And rightfully so. I think that we need these checks and balances. I think it's good to be criticized because it helps us to stay connected with our values and make sure that we're operating out of integrity. If you get criticized and you hold it to yourself and you question it and you look at it and you feel into it and you go, you know what? That's not a valid criticism. This, this is bull. Then it doesn't hurt. But if somebody criticizes you and there's, you know, let's say 10 or 20 or 30% of truth to it, it's very painful. And so this is just an opportunity for us to stay true to our values because any type of business, I believe, I don't know about like 
the oil industry. And like, there's probably some businesses that like cannot be values-based, but any business that's values-based, there's different pressures on us, right? We do live in a capitalist culture that pushes a certain level of achievement and a certain level of growth all the time. And that might not be in alignment with our values. So what I like to study and teach is values-based businesses. Um, there's a new type of corporation called the B Corp. And I'm really excited about this because it's a, it's a public benefit corporation. So it's a corporation that balances the need for profit with benefit to the public. And that those two missions are held side by side and that they, they kind of balance each other out. So I believe that yoga businesses are best. They don't have to be this B Corp structure, but I think their best is values-based businesses. And frankly, I think all businesses are. I don't, I'm not even just holding this to just yoga businesses. I wish all businesses would have public benefit in mind in addition to profits. Mm, I totally agree. I totally agree. So I know you offer so much that people obviously can look up. We'll have all your information, but what would be some best tips um, and ways for yoga teachers to start making a legitimate living so that if they wanted to do, you know, I know you've heard it a million times, like I can't teach yoga full time because I would not be able to pay all my bills, et cetera. What are some general tips you would give for people who want to go down that route? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is if you're a brand new teacher, trying to build your teaching skills and a business at the same time, it may be possible depending on your background and your personality, but it may also be too much. So for most newer yoga teachers, I recommend that you really focus on developing your skill set as a teacher first. Think of it as a hobby. Think of it as a, maybe like, like for me, where I was teaching at the YMCA and I wasn't really making money. <laughs> it was kind of like a trade for childcare and <laughs> my own. Your gym. sanity. Yeah. Yeah. My sanity. <laughs> but spend like two years developing your voice, developing your skill set. Then once you're there, the first step is to really start to understand yourself, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, and start to look for overlap between needs in your community or needs in the greater world. How can what you're good at and what you're passionate about overlap with what other people need? And that's the point. That's the niche right there. And the other thing I would say is that when we talk about niche, a lot of people feel a lot of pressure, like they got to get it right. They got to figure out this very succinct, very snappy and perfect niche. And I would think of it more as an exploration and a work in progress. And yes, there will come a time where you feel really confident saying, this is my niche. This is what I do, but don't force or rush that. So once you feel really confident with your teaching skills, once you feel like after almost all the classes, you're like, wow, I feel really good about that. That's when I would start to invest in some business education. If you haven't already, if you don't have that kind of a background, there is so much that is really quite simple, but it's just not 
in the culture of yoga and even in the culture of just like you go to school, you know, you, even you go to college, there's all of this, these skills and this way of thinking about the world that's really actually very useful and beautiful because it's kind of neutral. It really fits with yoga beautifully because I'm thinking of numbers specifically. I'm not a math person. I was not ever passionate about math, but when I started learning about business, this was something that I had to come to terms with. And I started to appreciate how honest numbers are. You know, there's no stories with numbers. And so it's a really great way to balance out that intuitive, creative side that many of us have and to bring them together, which is what we need to have a sustainable business. Frankly, I, I don't think that you can just be entirely in the realm of spirit and creativity and, and passion all the time, because you, you have to also be grounded. And so a lot of the business skills bring that groundedness and you don't have to lose the beautiful creativity, but you bring them together. And so that's the next step that I would recommend. I just echo that so much. I think first what you said, like, it's really hard to learn how to teach and to build a business at the same time. Absolutely. I think people have um, a lot of enthusiasm to just like, they go through teacher training, they're teaching for a while, and then I want to quit my job doing blah, 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 and do this full time. And it's like, be sensible about it. You really need to develop a skill as a teacher. And that takes time. There's very few people who could come right out and do it. I mean, the two of us are great examples. You've been teaching for 18 or 19 years. I've been teaching 26 years. It, there's, there's a long path there. And the other thing I'll really echo is I was in that frame. Like it was like, well, as long as I'm making a little, you know, I can pay for this or pay for that. I didn't really look at the balance, you know, the, the bank account too much. Even when I had a yoga studio, I mean, I did the profit and loss and stuff. We were in the green, all was good, but I didn't really look into like, Hey, we're spending that much money doing this. And when I started really doing that and started to embrace it, and like you said, the numbers are honest. It's interesting. It's fascinating. Like, wow, this is really out of balance, just like the body. Like, what can I do to bring this number up and bring this number down and not attach emotion to it? Just like really, it's an investigation. Yeah, it changed my business and my strategy. And, and like you, um, I've learned a lot, but I've also hired people, which is the other thing I'll say. That can take a while to get there. So you don't ever have to do it. But don't assume just because you're not a business person per se or have any interest in it that you can't learn a lot by just, you know, going into some course where you start to learn the basics of building a business plan. I mean, that that freaked me out, but it's like, actually, this is a really good idea. It's a roadmap. And then you can bring in all the elements that will that will enhance your business. I'm curious before I go to my last question, um, where did you grow up in Hawaii? I grew up on the big island. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I love the big island. I was like, I bet she was on the big island. If she didn't have TV, she's probably over in Hilo or somewhere. Yeah. Hilo, so yeah. I, I grew up in a little town near a little town called Pahoa. And I did go to Hilo High. Yes, I, I'm familiar with that area. So what is it like now? I know this is years later, but living in a very different and raising your children very differently and do you sometimes think, wow, I wish they didn't have all these distractions? Or are you kind of like, no, this is the way of the world now and it's fine. Let's just moderate it. Well, that's such a fascinating question, Laura. I love, I love this. 
my older daughter, as we mentioned earlier, I was very young when I had her. I did not stay together with her father. He got her all this technology. And I really had to kind of let go because I was not under my control. And I just had to do the best I can. And I'm still doing the best I can to parent her the best way I know how. She is very into technology. She is, you know, just like, what do they call the zillennials or the Gen Z? Gen Z. Gen yeah. Z. Yeah. She's very Gen Z. My little one, I'm still with her dad and he and I are very much on the same page. She doesn't get a lot of technology and she's absolutely brilliant. And she is a total reader just like me. So yes, I mean, we can't go back and it's not like my childhood was idyllic, really. Frankly, my parents bought a ton and there was a lot, I really struggled in school with socially and stuff like that. So I, I don't think like, gosh, I wish I could go back to that. There is a part of me that wishes that we could live a little bit more connected to nature. And I do my best to bring that into my life. I have a, a huge garden that is kind of like <laughs> one of the saving graces for my mental health is spending time in my garden. And I hope for humanity that we find more balance with technology versus being in the natural world, because I think it's so important. I absolutely agree. And I, 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 I love your attitude about it. I mean, I remember sitting with my dad many years ago, and my kids were not yet really doing screen stuff. This was, but my nephew was like on his screen and another nephew was, and we were all sitting in this room. And I just said, oh, I just, I can't stand this. Everybody's doing their own thing. And don't you remember, we used to sit around on the couch and watch a show together. And now everybody's watching their show on their own thing. And my dad, who was just like my Yoda, everybody who listens to me regularly enough knows he just said, well, who's to say which is better? And I was like, damn, that's good, right? It's like, we're so judgy. <laughs> and yes, we want balance, but who is to say? Like, it's different. We don't know any different. Like, we are living in a different world. We do obviously have to balance nature and technology. But he just kind of, I was like, okay, I'm going to be like you, my friend. You are amazing. Like, he's, I'm sitting there being all judgmental and Anyway, back to you. I could talk to you for hours. I find you brilliant and passionate and so interesting. So how can people find you, work with you? Talk about a little bit about your offerings. Um, you are a true resource for yoga teachers, and this has been your niche. And I think that's like a huge needed niche because there are so many yoga teachers who would like to do this, really stand behind this profession and just don't have the, the business skills and, and some of the um, wisdom that you have. So tell people what you offer and where they can find you. Yeah. The first thing I would say is I absolutely believe that any yoga teacher who has a passion for sharing yoga can learn the business side of things. Like, I don't think I'm special in that regard. This was not a path I saw for myself. This was not <laughs> something that I had any kind of background in. And if you would like me to be a part of that learning process, the best thing to do is to listen to my podcast, which is the yoga teacher resource. You can find it at teachingyoga.net slash podcast. That's my website. If you go to teachingyoga.net slash resources, you can find some of the lead magnets I mentioned, but really you can go to any podcast player 
and type in yoga teacher resource and I'll come up. And that's the best way to get a taste of, of working with me. And also, of course, you can sign up for my email list and then you'll hear all about everything that I offer. Now, assuming we're getting out of these COVID times, what would you typically, if we weren't in COVID, what are the in-person things? Are you just online through your website and podcast? That is really up in the air. It's really in flux, I would say. I have booked to teach at a yoga conference next spring that's happening in Colorado. So I'm excited about that. I really have, I'm just hoping and holding space for the possibility that we will be together in person. And other than that, I I don't know because I need to wait to see what the world looks like. I feel like we have been in this state of hold, this holding pattern and not being able to plan very far ahead for the past year and a half. And it's been tough, but I think it would be a lot tougher without a yoga practice. I couldn't agree more. I'm just curious on that note, I, I was going to sign off, but I am curious, how do you think it's going to shake out for the yoga business, for yoga studios? I mean, this is a long time. I mean, I closed my studio down and I'm so glad I closed it down when I did. That would have been because I think practicing in person now, I know there's people who are doing it, but I imagine a majority of people are quite hesitant, understandably. And I feel like the studio business model is is not a, already that great. So if things close, I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of studios that just don't, don't reappear. And I think it's going to shake things up probably for the better in some way. Um, you know, of course I feel bad for anybody who does lose their business, but what are your thoughts on that? How do you think that the yoga world yoga business is going to come out? Do you have any, or are you just going to see how it goes? <laughs> any thoughts? I, I definitely have some thoughts about it. The first is that folks with, who were not paying attention to their numbers, people who were running studios, but were kind of doing it on a wing and a prayer and did not bother to get any education in business are the going to be the first to close. And in fact, the last statistic I heard is that somewhere between 20 and 25% of studios are permanently closed. So that kind of lines up with what I'm seeing. It's definitely the, the newer studios, the smaller studios, and the really big behemoths, frankly, uh, yoga works, for example, the ones who aren't nimble. So as always, the world is going to keep changing. We don't know. And COVID really showed us that we don't know how it's going to change. So our yoga practice is a tool that can help us both be centered and present in the moment and also flow with what, what, whatever happens. So I think folks who can go hybrid will do well. I think that there is a place for in-person, that there will always be a place for gathering in person because there's something in our psyche and our nervous system that benefits from being together. And I'm a huge introvert. I love being online. I love taking yoga online. I love teaching yoga online. Like this, this has been definitely a mixed blessing for me, but there've been some, some huge treasures, but I don't think that the, on, uh, that the in-person studio is going away by any means. As always though, the, the studio owners and the teachers who are educated 
and able to adapt are the ones that are going to thrive. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Well, that was so well said. Thank you so much. Everybody go look at Mado and thank you for your time and your wisdom. And I really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been such a pleasure. You're welcome. And thank you all for listening. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Thank you.